Welcome to Find the Magic, the podcast that will help you honor yourself, your kids, and your partner. We'll give you tips and strategies to create peace and authenticity within your family. We inhale a ridiculous amount of books and life tools and distill the information for you. I'm Terilyn Griffin. I'm Caitlin Gabriel. And I'm Felicia Allen. Let's find the magic together. Hey everybody, we are so excited to bring you this conversation with Colin Karchner today. All of us in the time of the pandemic have so many things moving online and our kids are exposed to social media more and we are going to be talking about how to have a healthier relationship ourselves for our teens and even for our little kids. I quickly wanted to tell you about a new program called Compassion Parenting by Dr. Mary Wild, who we have had on the podcast before. Um, it is a monthly membership that gives you access to a anchored, present, loving community of parents all working together towards a similar goal. So we will link that in our show notes. All right. I hope you enjoy this interview. All right, guys, we are here with Brooke Snow today, and we are so excited to have her on our podcast. And this is our first um, interview that we've done via Zoom on video, Brooke. <gasps> really? Yeah. This is great. Your, our initiation video, because we normally record at some too early hour in the morning, and we are not presentable for video. We've never recorded ourselves at 530. I think we did once, and with Felicia, I was like, we We're we like, no, we, we must not post that. <laughs> so we're so excited to have you, and I feel like I can already feel myself talking happier because I can see you. So there's okay. a connection with people that I love. So uh, Brooke, why don't you just introduce yourself to our listeners, what you do, and how you kind of got into leading and inspiring people? Yeah. Well, my name is Brooke Snow. I live in Northern Utah. I am a mom of two. I have a 10-year-old boy and a six-year-old girl. We are homeschooling, like official homeschool. Like we chose to homeschool Yes, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, for the first time this fall. So that's new and exciting. Um, I also am a meditation teacher, a certified guided imagery facilitator. So that's Mm. kind of a cool term. Basically means that I can lead people in meditation and imagery experiences that are really helpful and healing. And also I'm a certified optimized coach. And a lot of people are familiar with a life coach. This is a little bit different. Life coach focuses a lot on mindset and optimized coach really focuses on a holistic view of your mind and your body and your spirit and really working with people to develop habits that will help in a holistic way for us to be able to show up as our very best self and live the life that we want to live. And tell us, what is that called? I missed the whole Optimize Coach. Optimize Coach. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That I love that. That sounds fabulous. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I, I need an Optimize Coach. So a little <laughs> tangent here with, we have a lot of listeners who are looking to homeschool. What, do you have a specific curriculum you're using with your kids? Yeah. So we're doing the good and the beautiful. Um, for our language arts and math. And then we're also working with the American Heritage Online School. Mm. And they've got some really awesome curriculum and some live teachers. So it's my favorite part about both of those options is that they integrate a Christian perspective. Mm -hmm. And that's been so fun for me. Like I did the quarantine homeschool version and that was it was okay. It's hard. <laughs> and a little stressful and all of that. And I decided for myself, I'm like, if we're 
have any chance of being sent home again or doing this again. I want to be in charge. Like I wanted to go my way. I want to make the rules. And so that's what we decided to do. And it's been surprisingly awesome. Like it's been so neat for me to see, um, how empowering learning is like when I can bring in my faith into the experience and do that with my kids. And it's led to a lot of really great conversations with them just about character and virtues and all of the things that, um, I should have already been teaching at home, but maybe <laughs> I'm doing a little bit better job of that now. <laughs> I love that. We'll have to link both of those. I love the good and the beautiful. That's what I used as well for several of my subjects. That's awesome. Okay. Well, Brooke, I have loved every time. I'm so excited for our listeners to be able to hear you because I am so inspired by your personal story. Could you share with us how you got into meditation, how it was uh, almost sound, sounds, I don't know if you'd use this word, but either a wake up call or a calling, or I don't know how you describe it, but can you tell us kind of your journey into meditation how that happened for you. Yeah, absolutely. I got into meditation without even really knowing that I was getting into meditation. And I can even pinpoint the exact day for you. It was June 16th, 2014. And I remember that day because that was the day that my daughter was born. And it was a fine delivery. She was born in the morning. Everything went well. And I thought it was just going to be... Um, a great day. <laughs> and it was <laughs> until about 10 PM that night. And as I was being assisted by some nurses, uh, into the bathroom that night, all of a sudden I felt nauseous and I blacked out on the floor. And when I came to a few minutes later, I had several nurses around me and they were all very concerned. And they're like, Brooke, have you ever had a seizure before? And I don't even know that I could really respond in that moment. I just remember the fact that I couldn't speak because I couldn't breathe. I was having a really difficult time breathing. And from there, I blacked out again. And then I came to a little while later, I don't know how long, how much time passed at all. But by then I was in a hospital bed. I was in an emergency room. I had a doctor and these were the exact words, unforgettable that he said to me. He said, Brooke, I need your verbal consent to perform this procedure. You may or may not live, but I need your verbal consent. And he informed me at that moment that I had had a pulmonary embolism. I didn't even know what that word meant. <laughs> what it means is that I had blood clots in my lungs. And that's something that can easily be experienced if you have swelling, pregnancy, surgery, <laughs> um, any of those things, which I had had all three mm -hmm. in that day. <laughs> and so it was just kind of all of the stars aligned and blood clots came into my lungs. I was unable to breathe. And there were nine, there were actually nine blood clots in my lungs and kind of a scary situation to be in when you can't breathe. Um, I just remember going, I was probably in shock and it was like all of my mental focus and my body. The only thing I could do was focus on, I have to breathe. I have to breathe. And I just focused on inhale, exhale. And at that point, of course I told the doctor, do the procedure. <laughs> and I had an oxygen mask on my nose and on my mouth that was really preserving my life in every way. And after he per performed the procedure that he did, uh, it was determined that they would life flight me to a nearby hospital. And so there'd be a helicopter that would come, but such a weird kind of bizarre storm 
happened in June. It doesn't really ever storm here in June at all. We live in the desert <laughs> and, but it ended up to be like this amazing tender mercy from God that there was a storm because that meant that I'd ride in an ambulance through the Canyon and then the helicopter would pick me up. And I'll touch on why that ended up to be such a tender mercy in just a moment here. Um, but I get into the ambulance. I've got 20 liters of oxygen in this oxygen mass. It's just blasting. And 20 liters is like the amount. I would equate kind of what it felt like as like a fire hose. It is super strong, just blasting in. It was the only thing that was helping me to be able to breathe. Once we get through the canyon, it's time to change over from the ambulance into the helicopter. I'll never forget the EMT who was assisting me. She yells at the pilot of the helicopter and she's like, we need 20 liters of oxygen. <laughs> and he turns around and he says, we don't have 20 liters. We have 15. And I, I knew, I just knew like, that's not enough. Like that's, that is not enough to be able to help me. I'm struggling as it is, but that was all they had. And so they switch over the supply line. I, I drop down to 15 liters of oxygen and immediately I feel the reduction in being able to breathe. And I, I just suddenly can't, it's like, I'm gasping and gasping to be able to breathe. And just like in the movies, like the EMT just starts shouting at me. She's like, Brooke, stay with us, Brooke, stay with us. And my vital signs are going down and I'm just trying as hard as I can to be able to breathe, but I can't, I just can't get enough air. And this is total moment of life or death and desperation. And in this moment, I had a phrase that manifested into my mind. And that phrase was, Christ is the breath of life. And I instinctively knew, I'm like, I knew that I needed to repeat this over and over with like every gasping breath that I could try to manage on my own. Inhale, Christ is the breath of life. Exhale, Christ is the breath of life. Inhale, Christ is the breath of life. Exhale, Christ is the breath of life. And I, I did that for a moment or so. I don't know how much time transpired, but it went from a moment of absolute panic and all of my vital signs dropping and the EMT yelling for me to be able to stay with her to all of a sudden things began to stabilize. And I remember the EMT saying like, I can't believe this is happening. This is absolutely miraculous. She is stabilizing. Within a few minutes, we were arriving at the hospital that was there. And I mean, probably in the next uh, little while that transpired, I was able to go from that 15 liter oxygen supply down to two. I mean, you just think about like what a drastic um, improvement that is right there. And I am so grateful. I'm so grateful for all of the medical professionals who helped me. And I'm also grateful for the power of prayer. <laughs> I, I look at that and I'm just, I feel like my life was miraculously saved, um, both by medical help and also by God in that moment. And I, I, that moment really was a defining moment of my life. And I would say that it was one of the most spiritual experiences that I have ever had in my life. And it's interesting because, you know, I have this miraculous life-saving story 
And I still spent about eight days in the ICU in that hospital, separated from my newborn daughter <laughs> that I'd only gotten to spend a few moments with. <laughs> and I remember going home and just, I have to get back to life, right? I have a newborn baby I'm supposed to take care of. I have my own recovery. And even though I was quote unquote saved, I, I really didn't expect the mental and emotional recovery that would also be required of me. Physically, I was able to come back pretty quick. I got off of blood thinning medication within three months and they said it would be nine. And so physically I was improving, but mentally and emotionally, I wasn't prepared for the PTSD, the post-traumatic stress <laughs> disorder, um, which I didn't even know. I didn't even know I had until a little bit later when things mentally and emotionally really started to go downhill for me. And I would say it probably the worst point was about a year and a half after that experience. And I was noticing that I was having really high anxiety all the time. <laughs> and I was having panic attacks. I was having flashbacks. I was having nightmares. If I was to see a helicopter flying in the sky, like immediately I was back in the helicopter myself, unable to breathe. Like I could be driving down the road and see that helicopter and all of a sudden it's like my breath is gone. I can't breathe. And I, I just had all of this anxiety. I would lose my temper all the time with my kids. I mean, new little baby, she's cute and fun, but <laughs> yeah. I was tired. I had a, at the time he was in kindergarten, um, son, and it seemed like everything he did just blew my top. And I was always yelling and just feeling out of control. And it got to the point where I was really concerned about my daily life. And I was concerned about being a safe parent. I didn't trust myself sometimes. And I remember expressing these things to my sister. I was on the phone call. I was hiding in the pantry, eating chocolate chips. <laughs> I'm explaining to her like the challenge of what's happening in my life. And it was really interesting. I will never forget that moment. And she said, have you ever considered meditation as maybe something that could help you manage the anxiety that you're dealing with right now? And meditation was like, super foreign to as foreign to my church culture. It just seemed like one of those weird things that you did if you were a monk or you had time to sit on a cushion and think no thoughts at all. <laughs> and, and yet I was desperate. And yet it was like, I, I need something like something has to change here. And she, she told me, she's like, you know, I found this meditation class online. Maybe we could do it together. And I am so grateful to her for even suggesting it, but also saying that I'll be your buddy, right? Like I'll do it with you. And so that's what I did. I signed up for this meditation course and it drastically changed my life. And there's a quote, um, many people have heard it before. It's attributed to Viktor Frankl, who was a survivor of the Holocaust. And he says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose. And in, in the new age world, like new age spirituality world, they talk about how meditation and things like that increases your consciousness. Well, if I was just speaking like normal lingo, <laughs> mm -hmm. I would say that all of a sudden, like when I started meditating, I started noticing that space 
that space that Viktor Frankl talked about, the space that exists between stimulus and response. So stimulus that was always causing a reaction in me might be like my son, right? He's doing something that makes me mad. And before I would get upset and I would yell, I would just react. And when I started meditating, it was like all of a sudden there was a pause. There was this space that I could decide for myself are you still going to lose your temper or are you going to choose a better way right now? <laughs> and it was like before that space didn't exist. It did. I just didn't see it. Right. And so that was one of the most empowering things to me was all of a sudden I felt like my personal agency increased. I all of a sudden had a higher ability to be able to choose the response that I wanted to choose. And granted, Sometimes I still lost my temper and I still yelled, but the space was there. I had the ability to choose for myself if I was going to react one way or to react another. And the longer I meditated, the more that time went past, the better I got at choosing the better response. And the better I got at choosing the better response, the better my life became because I was making better choices. I was choosing to respond to the stimulus around me in a much healthier way. And so it's, that's how I got into meditation. But here I am a year and a half later, I'm meditating. I'm seeing all of these amazing benefits come into my life. And it wasn't until that moment as I, I'm learning about mantra and I'm learning yoga and things like that, that I realized, oh my goodness, in the helicopter, I was given a mantra. It didn't even make, you know, I didn't even see it before. But all of a sudden I realized I was given a mantra. My mantra was Christ is the breath of life. And it saved my life, truly. And it was just really neat to be able to see that come full circle and to, to see the power that repeating powerful words on the breath can have. Like in my case, it literally saved my life. And it literally continues to save my life as I experience other life challenges and life trials to be able to recall something that will direct my mind uh, to be able to, re to reflect on light, to reflect on God, to reflect on hope, um, to help me use that moment between stimulus and response to choose well. And so that's kind of my story of how I unexpectedly got into meditation, how it saved my life and continues to do so even to this day. That's so beautiful because I think every mother or parent out there can relate to the feeling I call your patient skin, but where the patient skin is thin, the space you're not feeling, you just feel like everything your kids are doing, you just can't help it and you react. Yeah. That's such a good way to describe it, that it is what I call the patient skin is just simply that space. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and meditation, meditation for me is actually my foundational layer to when things are off in my life, I can go back to my meditation practice and see that I have neglected it in some way. It's like directly correlated mm -hmm. with not outward stimulus, but what's happening inside of me. Yeah. So much. So I, I love hearing your story because I think everybody can relate to that and it's hopeful to hear a story where meditation did help you. So yeah. thank you for sharing that with us. I would love to hear you talk about, I think for those people who haven't found their own space with, within the meditation realm, it, it sounds, meditation sounds like really overwhelming and they don't really understand 
What does that mean? What can that mean for me? I think there's so many different paths you can take with meditation. So can you tell us what your style is, like what you've come to and what you teach? Yeah, that's such a good question because, you know, even when I was approached by my sister of like, have you considered meditation? Like there is so many different stereotypes Mm -hmm. and images that can come to mind with that. And I know for me, like immediately what I thought of is like Buddhist monks and sitting on a cushion and thinking nothing. And I don't know if any of you have tried that before. It's pretty hard. (laughs) It's really hard to like think nothing. And one of my meditation teachers, she actually has this funny thing that she says, and she's like, I think there's one guy out there running around telling everybody that meditation is thinking no thoughts. Someone needs to find him. (laughs) And, and yet like, that's just all in fun. But I think there's a true spectrum of meditation. And I think one end of the spectrum is when you do have that style that we might think of stereotypically of just being still and trying to empty the mind. And I think there's a lot of value in that. And then clear on the other side of the spectrum, I think you have meditation that is instead of emptying the mind, it's more about filling up the mind or probably a better word would be to focus the mind. And I tend to fall a lot more on that side of the scale where I'm intentionally thinking about specific things rather than trying to not think of anything. And I I think there's a time and place for either approach. For me, it was really helpful to have a mantra. And I think that's the purpose of a mantra is to focus the mind. Uh, And beyond that, meditation for me has become a time in which I uh, commune with God. It's something that enhances my Christian prayer practice. It's also a time in which I practice visualization. And so I visualize myself and the goals that I'm working on and how I want my day to go. I have a meditation I love to do called create your day. And so I imagine like my mind kind of thinks like the scenes of a movie and I imagine the morning. What is my life look like in the morning? How do I want it to go? Like, it's like I'm spiritually creating it before it happens. And I imagine the afternoon and I imagine the evening and it's all, for me, it's very visual and intentional. It's a way that I work on my own personal growth. It's a way that I work on, like I say, the goals that I'm working on and even the things that I hope for that are out of my control. Uh, even things like there's unrest in the world. (laughs) We are dealing with a lot of things that we don't have control over. Can I, as a prayer, visualize what I hope for to happen? If we have people who are suffering from sickness or they're suffering from an economy in which they've lost their job or anything like that, I like to pray in a hope-filled way, which is I visualize what I hope will happen, which means instead of imagining people that are sick, I imagine people who are healthy and recovering. Instead of people who are out of work, I imagine them being able to find new opportunities that are even better than what they had before. Um, That's kind of the way I love to bring in um, meditation, visualization, and all of that into that experience. So for me, it's very much not emptying the mind at all. (laughs) It's very much focused on filling up my mind intentionally of what I hope for in life and what I'm working on becoming. That makes so much sense. And I think I'm definitely on that side of the meditation spectrum as well. So if, if someone were to come to you and say, I'm just, I want to jump into meditation, but I have no idea what to do. What would you give them as like just a little beginner, little nugget of your style of meditation? 
the very, I actually teach a meditation class and I have a free course that anyone is welcome to, to we'll take. Yay. What's I'll, that? We'll link it. That sounds amazing. Yeah. It's a, for me, it's a, a bridge between prayer and meditation, which for a lot of people can seem like two very different worlds. But like I explained just barely about filling up the mind and like using it as a way to increase your hope in yourself and in the world and increase your faith and everything like that. That's where I like to bring those worlds together, like to really bridge the gap there. And so the very first mantra that I actually teach in my full length course, I don't talk about it in the free course, but I have another course that is six weeks long. So we get really deep in that. But uh, the first mantra that I teach people is I love and accept you. And then you state your name. And this mantra, other than the one I already shared with you that saved my life, this mantra that I love and accept you. And of course, for me, because my name is Brooke, I would say I love and accept you. Brooke has been one of the most useful and powerful mantras that I've ever found. And so the very first thing we learn together is just simply to have that mantra. And then we repeat it on the breath, on the inhale and on the exhale. And the challenge that we do in our course is simply to practice that for five minutes mm. for 40 days. And I don't know, just think for a moment about the challenges that come into your life on a daily basis. I think a lot of us struggle with how we feel about ourselves. Um, I think we struggle in how we feel about our performance, either as parents or in our work, um, in our relationships, in our health, all of those things. We are really critical judges of ourselves. What would happen? Just think for a moment, what could happen if I changed the story that I'm telling myself? And instead I could say, I love and accept you. How would that change? How would that change the way that we feel about ourselves, the way that we interact with other people? How would it change the way that we do our work? And so to me, that's one of the most powerful affirmations or mantras that I have ever used. And the other thing that I find so helpful with it is I can actually turn it around. I can use it on other people. Perhaps I'm struggling with one of my children. I can actually meditate on the mantra, I love and accept you, and I'll state my son's name. <laughs> or I, if it's in my marriage, I can turn that around. I love and accept you, and I'll state my hum husband's name. And anybody that I'm struggling with, or it's just amazing how so much of our trials come down to love and acceptance and personal identity that way. And so I've made that a that's like default. That's, I have a lot of meditations that I do, but that one is the one that never changes because it has such a powerful influence in my daily life. And I'll tell you, this is kind of a funny story here, but I, I have meditated for five years and there got, I got to a point where I got a little spiritually prideful. <laughs> and, and so I had done the, I love and accept you Brooke meditation for probably like a year and a half. And I actually had the thought come into my mind, doing pretty good with this. I think I love myself pretty good. I think I could like put this on the shelf for a while. I'll keep meditating. I'm going to choose some other meditations to do. And so I did, I stopped, I stopped doing it. And it's so interesting. Like I am a firm believer that contrast in our life is a huge teacher. Contrast can help you see a lot of things. So I stopped doing the meditation that one. I still meditated, but I didn't do that one. And within six weeks, I had old insecurities surface that I hadn't dealt with in a really long time. And I just wasn't as nice to myself. 
And I started to, you know, maybe not make as good of choices or be as quick to forgive myself for things. And I learned a great lesson in that. I'm sometimes, especially with something like meditation, the changes and the influence and the fruit that comes from it is so small and subtle that we, we acclimate, like we acclimate along with it. And we don't realize fully what it has actually done for us until we stop. And it's not there. And I totally learned that. And it was in a dramatic way. I'm like, whoa, I need to do that every day for forever. I don't think there's ever going to be a point, you know, especially like now I know about spiritual pride. I can be like, nah, Brooke, you just, you just need to have that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Something that you repeat all the time because it's so easy to get the other message from the media, from, you know, our ego, anything like that is just constantly saying the other message. And so that to me is a foundation mantra. So I love to start people right there. If you can just have this one mantra, which I feel is the most powerful mantra that anybody can use. And like we talked about, it can be turned around so many different ways. And to just focus on that, repeat it in your mind on the inhale and exhale. It's, it's a really great uh, experiment. No experiment. What could happen? What could happen if I, if I did this for myself for 40 days, 40 days is a fun number. I go into why we do a 40 day challenge in the course, but it it takes time. Right. And so, I mean, it could definitely help me if I did it for one day, but you're going to see the greatest benefit as you put in the time to be able to change those beliefs and thought patterns and everything like that. Yes. I love that example because I feel like you're describing the effects of meditation are cumulative, right? Yes. they, a lot of people think I'm going to try meditation. I'm going to try it for a couple of days and I didn't notice a difference. So done, but that's such a good example of you did it for years and just changing it to the thing that was less powerful for you. It probably wasn't that same day that you changed or like if me, if I miss a day of meditation, I'll notice a little difference, but it's also accumulative. Like a yes. week later, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm losing it. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. So I feel like the, the beautiful thing about a challenge, like a 40 day challenge is you get to actually have that cumulative effect. Like it builds up inside of you, which I think is so powerful. It is. And as it is with any habit, right? Like right. the accumulation, the compound effect, it adds up over time. And it's why it's easy to dismiss those things. Cause it seems in the moment, just really small and insignificant. And yet it totally, it doesn't just add up. It compounds like into exponential support. Sorry. Do you meditate in the, when do you meditate? Cause we are huge fans of morning. That's the only time I find that works regularly for me, but when do you meditate? Um, absolutely morning. And <laughs> I just have a morning practice and that's part of my morning practices that I meditate in the morning. Um, and I have very, I allow myself to adapt as the morning needs. You know, if I, my ideal is to meditate for like 20 minutes, but there are some days I literally don't have 20 minutes. Like my minimum effort for meditation is like a minute. Um, it's, I average out to probably do about 12 minutes every day, but on the days that I really don't have time for some reason, I still allow myself to do a mini version. And I think that's really important with any type of habit that we want to get into is that when we only have like a perfect ideal, we're so, we're more likely to not do it at all. Right. (laughs) And so for me, I want the benefits of that compound effect that we've talked about. And so that's why I make it scalable. If I only have a minute, I do a minute. 
if I have more, I do more. And so that's been really helpful that way too. I will say, um, I have been experimenting with doing meditation in the evening as well. And this is definitely more hit and miss for me because I tend to be someone who like gets really tired at night. And if I don't allow myself to go to bed early enough that I like have a sound, like sane mind and I'm like awake, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, then I just go to bed. But the nights that I allow myself to really just even take five minutes and to meditate before bed, I notice a big difference with that too. So that's actually something I'm working on is putting in the meditation on the evening side to kind of bookend my day with that. Uh, It definitely helps in the morning and I'm excited to explore more of how it can help if I put it in on that evening part of the day as well. Really help with sleep as well for people who struggle with sleep that doing that little meditation before bed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So there's something I want you to um, flesh out a little bit that you, I could hear you start to kind of dive into right there, but um, I love your floors and ceilings technique. And I know a lot of people have felt like it's been a game changer in their lives. So can you explain that a little bit when it comes to meditation? Yeah, absolutely. So I have what I call floors and ceilings. It's not my original idea, but I talk about it all the time. Um, I think it originally came from a book called something about imperfection. Um, All of us are familiar with the perfectionist mindset, which is all or none or do it perfect or don't do it at all. (laughs) And so this idea is how to combat that perfectionistic mindset. And basically it is that we all have a ceiling and I think most of us are really good at creating that ceiling. The ceiling is the perfect ideal. So if we're talking about meditation, it's like, I'm going to meditate for 20 minutes every single day, (laughs) which is awesome, except for the days that you don't have 20 minutes or the days that you are totally not motivated or the days that you're not feeling great. And so what do you do on those days? Well, if you only have a ceiling, then you just don't do the habit, right? And so when we only have ceilings in our life, whether it's for the way we eat, the way that we move our body, um, whatever goal that we're working on, if it's, there's only a ceiling option, life is really, really hard. And I love the visual of even thinking of it. Like if you have a ceiling and you don't have anything else, there's no support. There's no support that's there. And that's where the floor comes in. The floor offers support. And the floor is like the opposite of the ceiling. It is the very smallest, tiniest, minimal effort version of whatever it is that you're wanting to do that will improve your life. So for meditation, like I mentioned, instead of 20 minutes, it might be one minute. And I would actually even go a step further to say I could even make that smaller. Most people have a hard time making things small, which is why I say in making a floor, think small and then go even smaller. (laughs) So I said one minute, 
really a good floor would be like one breath. I could do it one inhale of I love and accept you, Brooke, and an exhale. I love and accept you, Brooke. And the really powerful thing about making it so small is that I'm able to make it consistent. Now I can do it without having to have high motivation. I can do it without having to have a lot of time, but it means I can also do it so that I can start having this cumulative effect happen in my life. And the other way and reason that the floors work so powerfully is because of Newton's law of motion. You know, once an object is in motion, it will stay in motion unless, you know, some opposing force acts upon it. And so what usually happens for me, which is why I said the one minute instead of the one breath, um, one breath is the true floor, right? But if I do the one breath, I'm in motion and I still may not have 20 minutes, but I will probably realize I could actually do a little bit more than one breath. Mm -hmm. And so I keep moving forward with within the space that I do have. And so that's what I really like. And of course there are things in between a floor and a ceiling. I had a friend who said to me one day, she's like, I found out what's between a floor and ceiling. And I'm like, what is it? <laughs> she said, stairs. <laughs> and I love that visual because it's true, right? Like, oh, I can go up another step. I can go up another step. And so if I have the floor, which is the minimum version, I'm going to do one breath. Um, I may realize in the motion of, oh, I can actually do a little bit longer. I can go up to step one, two, three, four, five, or whatever. Um, and sometimes you may find that you are so in motion that you really do reach a ceiling. But the other thing that is really powerful about floors is that it gives you a win. So often we can get really down on ourselves and critical of ourselves and feel like failures, which is totally possible. If you only live a life of ceilings, you're totally going to feel like a failure, like, often <laughs> because how, how often can you do a ceiling every day consistently? That's really hard. But if I have a floor there, that means I still won. I'm still a winner. I still showed up. I still did something. And maybe I did another step or two or three above that. And so it gives us something to celebrate. It gives us something to win. We don't feel like a failure because we have more options. We totally showed up and that is totally worth celebrating. And so when we can kind of switch the mindset around into including those floors into in everything, like everything has the ability to have a floor and a ceiling. And it just becomes a much more supportive, uh, joyful <laughs> life and way of living that has been really, really helpful for me. I love using that. The idea of using that tactic in any situation. I've had times where um, for me, even say, for example, like getting dressed to go exercise, it's like, we'll just get dressed. And then if you don't want to go, you don't have to go. But every time I get dressed, I'm like, oh, well now I actually want to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I know a lady who says she feels so much better after she runs. She loves the feeling of running, but she said, I just tell myself I'm going to go for three minutes. And if I want to stop, I can stop. But every mm -hmm. time I start, I, I love it. the feeling. And so it's still a beautiful, loving way. You're not pushing yeah. something that doesn't feel good to you, but it's just like a little mind it helps you. And so I love the idea of using that. I mean, as you were talking, I was like, Oh, you could use, I could use that here in my life. Yes. Something's a good habit that I've been trying to get. Use that concept of just start it a little bit. Yeah. Permission. I have a student just this week. She reported back and she said that she's been trying to wake up earlier and that's been so hard. And I know all of us understand like, think of what is possible if I could get up earlier than my kids or I could have a little routine. And so what she did was she created a floor of just when her alarms goes, when her alarm goes off, 
she walks into the living room and she gives herself permission. She's like, I can still go to sleep on the couch there if I want to, but I got out of bed and I walked to the living room and she said how much that has helped her. And sometimes she still goes to sleep, but oftentimes she's got that motion that's already going and she'll start to do the other habits that she wants to do because she's up and she's moving. And so there's so many habits, so many situations it, floors and ceilings are amazing for homeschool. I've even used floors and ceilings in dating my husband. Like mm-hmm. it used to be like a date meant that we have to like get a babysitter and like go out to eat and like have everything scheduled and work out. And then there'd be so many times where we just wouldn't go. And so we did a floor of kids get a movie and we sit on the porch and we talk or we go on a walk. Like we have something that is like the very tiny minimal version that still allows us to be able to get that in, right? Like there's so many ways that it can be used. I think that is so beautiful for the seasons of motherhood and parenting, because I think a lot of the times, like for me, I just had a new baby. And so you had built up to, you know, you're going up your stairs with your habits and then you have a new baby and you just get a nice smack in the face with those habits. (laughs) Yeah. You fall back down the stairs. And so for me, I, I found myself feeling discouraged at myself for like, wait, you, you did that before though. Like you can wake up at that time. You've woken up at that time, disregarding, not being gentle with myself. You know, the newborn is waking, you're waking up throughout the night. (laughs) And so when I heard you talk about floors and ceilings, I sat down and wrote out every habit that I want to have for myself and set a floor. And that's where I'm at with a newborn. I'm at the floor. I'm sitting on the floor with them. And It has felt so, I don't have that negative feeling. Because you still win. Right. You still win. Win every habit. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So yeah, I just love that. So I had to talk to you about that. That's awesome. I love that you've been able to do that. And congratulations on your new baby. Oh, thank you. They're so fun. It goes back to rewriting the, we talk a lot about rewriting the equation for what success looks like for you. The beautiful thing about what you're saying is you literally, we all have the power Mm -hmm. for our own equations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the equation is for a win at a floor. Oh, mm-hmm. I, just, I just love it. Love it. Something that you talk about that I really love is your thoughts on future and your divine self and how it shows up directly. It helps you show up differently to the people in your life. Can you expound on that a little bit? Yeah. I, I actually have written a book. It's called Living in Your True Identity. And my main point that I talk about in that book is that we all have two identities. I think this is really important to preface your question with what we're talking about here. And it's important for understanding ourselves as well. And I would say the two identities we have, one is true and one is false. And your true identity is your highest self. Scripture would refer to it as your divine nature. Your false identity is your ego. It is your worst self. (laughs) And scripture would refer to that as like your natural man or the flesh. And it's really important for us to be able to distinguish between the two. Uh, And for me to know that I'm not really that false self. That's not who I really am. Who I really am is my true self, that divine nature. And going back to what we talked about earlier with like between stimulus and response, there's that space. Um, I am choosing in that moment, am I going to respond in my true self or am I going to respond in my false self? And the more time I spend in either one is going to develop that character and identity. 
And so in thinking about our future self, I think it's really important to know you have a divine self. You have been created to become this amazing person. Um, in, in my faith and Christian beliefs, I believe that God created each of us with specific talents and with specific gifts and with a specific mission and purpose that we have on this earth. And that is your true self. And the neat thing, like the analogy that I like to think about it is like a seed. And let's use an acorn as an example here. My true self is the acorn. And the oak tree is the potential I have to become something really wonderful, to become who God created me to become. The acorn already has everything it needs inside of itself. It already has the characteristics and attributes of an oak tree. <laughs> it already has the ability and the potential to become that oak tree. And similarly, just like that, we too have that seed within us, that divine seed to become who God created us to become. And in thinking about our future self or who we want to be, it's important to realize it's already there. We already have all of those characteristics inside of us. I know as a mother, um, something that I have said often before is, oh, I just am not very patient. <laughs> I hear that a lot from other mothers too, right? But the truth is I am patient. The oak tree version of me is patient. I have that in the DNA of the divine self of who I really can be. And so as we think about our future self and who we want to be, I think it's important to distinguish that right there. It's already there. All I have to do is to nurture it. It's not that I have to go become something that I'm not. It's not that I have to go find my true self. All I have to do is nurture my true self. And when we think about that seed, that it's already there, then it becomes the process of how do I nurture this? Um, if I want to be patient and I want to have the fruit of developing patience in my life, what do I do to nurture that? For me, meditation, it's a really important habit for me to have that patience so that I can have that space between stimulus and response and choose how I want to respond. And the same would be for any goal that we might have, whether it is to be more kind or to improve our health, to maybe work on some healthy habits of moving our body more, getting in shape, changing the way we eat, maybe other things like the way we sleep, uh, how much am I online or anything like that. It's important to remember as we work on any goal of self-improvement that that's who our future self is, that we already have that within us. We just need to nurture those habits and those um, characteristics that are already there. And I think it's uh, the other important thing to realize about that is what is it that my future self does every day Brooke, we were just talking about how do not disturb is a pretend thing. They say do not disturb, but it always disturbs. So we just have had this happen. Like it always happens to us. So sorry. I don't know why that went on. No worries at all. No worries. You edit this, right? <laughs> it's 50%. Do you want me to just resume? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, in thinking about our future self, who I want to be, it's really important that I bring it into the present. How, if I want to be this person, how can I be that person right now? If I want to be that patient version of myself, well, what does that patient version of myself do today? Like, what are her daily habits? What is it that she does every single day 
that helps her to be that patient person. That's basically helping her to nurture the seed of what it is that she wants to grow. And that way, as I can reinforce and live as if I am already that person, that's how we nurture and grow and develop all of those things that we really hope to become for ourselves. Yeah. And I love, and you've mentioned visualization a few times and I feel like you are a master. I feel like visualization is, it is harder for me um, personally, but I think it's such a powerful tool. And with the future self thoughts, sometimes I like to, you know, I get in a rut of, you know, like affirmations or goals. And sometimes I like to say, okay, what do I want my future self to look, look like and, and write them out. And so that can be, you know, my future self is a host. Like I picture myself like inviting people to my home and what that's going to look like. Or um, my future self cooks for my family every night. And, and it's, it's in visualizing, you know, that's a peaceful environment. My kitchen's clean. I have the meals planned ahead. Those sort of visualizations that really, um, then I'll be in my normal day and be like, oh yeah, remember my future self is, you know, a, a cook. So I'm patient in the kitchen and I'm, you know, inviting my kids in and they'll come into my mind of, oh, that's how my future self is going to be. And I just love using that. I feel like it comes up almost every single day for me when I've set up what I want my future self to look like. I love what you're saying right there because it's bringing it into the present and it's realizing that there are actual behaviors and choices that you have to make on a daily basis for that future vision to even be able to come to pass. So if you want to be a great host and you want to be cooking for your family, like super basic here, but you probably are going to have to menu plan, right? And so that's a daily behavior. Mm -hmm. And what else needs to happen? Like what is the protocol for being able to have order in your kitchen? So maybe it is that my future self is this way because she also, she menu plans and she also cleans up breakfast after breakfast and cleans Mm -hmm. up lunch after lunch. So like the Mm -hmm. space is actually inviting and I want to be here. Like it's really simple things, but it's really important to bring it into the present of what actually creates the vision that we hope for. Yeah. And I think if you take that time to think about your future self in a meditative sort of way, it also has allowed me to throw out a lot of things that these expectations that, you know, somebody else is doing and I, so I'm putting them on myself. But when I sit down and think of my future self, it's like, I don't actually picture myself as that thing, whatever it is. It's freeing. Yeah. And it's really important that you do get to know who your future self is. I just, I recently came upon a scientific study that has been done and they would put people into like a CT scanner. They look at their brains and they would ask them, they'd say, um, think about yourself. And when they asked the people to think about their self, a certain part of their brain would light up. And then they would ask people to think about uh, their future self and a certain part of their brain would light up. And it was really interesting because for some people, when they were asked to think about their future self, the stranger part of their brain is actually what lit up. And for other people, it was the self part. It was like the familiar part. And what they found was for those people who 
the stranger part is what lit up in their brain. They were ones who struggled a lot with willpower and were struggling a lot with uh, habits and things in their life. And those people who had the self part actually light up when they were told to think about their future self, they had a much stronger willpower and they had stronger habits that supported who they really wanted to be. And what I take away from that is I want to know who my future self is. I want to be like best buds with her, right? BFFs, like we're like a team, we work together. And I don't want that person to be somebody that is a stranger to me. And one more thing I'll say about future self that I think is really important is we tend to, when we talk about future self, it can sometimes tend to be really futuristic. We can think of that person as someone five years away or, you know, 20 pounds away or whatever it is, a goal or something that we're working on. And when I teach future self to the students in my mentoring program, we talk about future self and the power of 10. Who is your future self 10 years from now? Like there could, I mean, there could be some huge differences between me and Brooke in 10 years, but then let's take it down to the power of 10. Who is future self in 10 months from now? Like 10 months, like a lot could happen in 10 months. You could totally lose 20 pounds in 10 months. You could totally start to gain a new skill um, and be pretty proficient at it with daily practice in 10 months. Take it down again. Who is your future self in 10 weeks from now? 10 weeks, like a lot can happen in 10 weeks, right? And then down again, who's your future self 10 days from now? And then down again, who is your future self 10 hours from now. Like a good example here is if I can think about my future self 10 hours from now, I might make a different decision about like, do I really need to watch Netflix for hours tonight or future self tomorrow morning, Brooke, is she going to be so grateful that I chose to go to bed, right? Like future self 10 hours from now. And then future self 10 minutes from now, do I really need to have that second helping of ice cream? Is future self 10 minutes from now going to feel very good, right? And then even down from there, future self 10 seconds from now, I'm totally stimulated by something. Am I going to scream and yell and lose my temper? 10 seconds from now could totally change my life and the life of my family for the rest of the evening. Or can I take a breath, reset, and make a better choice? I mean, I think when we can really start to think about future self, even that close to like future self one moment from now, um, that becomes much more familiar. We do become like better friends, more familiar. We start to make better choices because we realize that it's not just future self a long ways away, but future self in the very next moment. And all those moments, going back to the whole compound effect, the accumulation, they compound into creating who we really want to be. That's beautiful. Amen. I'm going to use that to that. Oh my God. I love love that. Well, if our listeners want more from you, Brooke, um, where can they find you? What's the best? We'll, We'll put a link to your book and where else are the other places they can find more from you? Yeah. I have a podcast on iTunes, Brooke Snow podcast. I have my book. Um, I'm on Instagram. I am Brooke Snow. Um, I have a blog, brooksnow.com. I have my free meditation course there. That's an awesome introduction for meditation in the style that I've been talking about here. So those are some great ways to connect. Awesome. We will link all those. And at the end of the episode, we ask everybody, what is one habit that you have that's a game changer and is helping you find the magic in your life? 
oh, well, that would certainly be meditation. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. And we, I feel like we've had quite a few of our guests say meditation or going outside in nature, which for me is a, is a form Mm -hmm. of meditation. Do you mind if I ask a follow-up question to that? Since we know so much about your meditation practice, can you just give us a little rundown of, you said you have a morning practice that the meditation fits into. What's your lineup of your morning practice? Yeah. So sometimes it changes up, but I always do the same things. I might just change the order. And so for me, I always have to move my body. I do yoga in the morning and I usually move first thing, even though meditation is like my most important habit. um, I actually need to move first and maybe it's just to get my endorphins going. I would actually probably lean more towards the direction of, I struggle with getting movement in. And if I'm, I'm the type of person I could sit all day. Like I could sit and meditate and read books and be very reflective and all of that, but it would not be good for me. And so because that can be my tendency, I have to put movement very, very first so that it happens and that it gets done. Um, and I try to move throughout the day as well, but it helps if I can start my day that way. So I always move. Um, and then I meditate and then I do what I call prayer journaling, which is a journal method in which I have a conversation with God. I write down what I'm asking him and I write back, I write down what his response is to me. So it's kind of a fun little journaling exercise. And then I read scripture and then I do some, uh, what I call a deep work session. And so that is me being able to work on my work, which mostly involves writing, uh, writing podcasts, um, currently recreating like a version 2.0 of my meditation course. And so everything is um, being scripted out for that to be able to happen. And I do that after that practice because I'm in a really great headspace and no inputs. I have not checked my phone. I have not checked my my messages. I have not checked my email or anything like that. I protect that time fiercely so that I get at least one hour in the morning of undisturbed, focused, creative writing time. And that is kind of the completion of my morning practice. Wonderful. So would you say your ceiling morning practice, how long is your ceiling? Ceiling is probably hour and a half to two hours. Okay. Okay. Cool. And is that a nod to Cal Newport deep work? <laughs> yes, it is. Okay. I love, I am borderline obsessed with him. So when you said that, I was like, oh, yay. Cal Newport. Yeah. Okay. Well, so fun, Brooke. Everything you said resonates with me a lot, but I think our listeners are going to love everything you've said. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you, Brooke. Let's find yeah. him out. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Brown cows.